When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our websites guideemily.com and alexlacy.com for information about all the things that we have coming up as well as what the blue badge guiding qualification is all about <gasps> happy new year happy new year hi alex <laughs> hello sorry to see you Lovely how was your new you. year um new year was pretty chilled um it was the first time that i didn't wake up with a hangover actually on new year's day brilliant bit of jules holland you know very <laughs> lovely and yourself yeah, very nice. I was with my little support bubble. Uh, we ate some amazing food and drank some amazing booze. And and you got a front row view to the uh, unexpected fireworks, didn't you? I know. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting anything, really. And then suddenly my boyfriend was on the balcony and he was like, come here now. And it just completely, well, erupted. It was mental. Because we should say you, you overlooked the River Thames. So you had a great view of Tower Bridge when the, all the fireworks going off. Yeah, I nearly dropped my phone in the river for heaven's sake. <laughs> Just amazing. Well, it's lovely to see you. And we are back. It's 2021. What a difference a week makes, or I not, know. as the case may be. Gosh, we're back we in lockdown. In tier 55, tier Something 60. Something like that. Jesus. We're going to keep on soldiering on, aren't we? We're going to keep going through. And we are back with Ladies Who London podcast uh, for our first episode of 2021. <laughs> Yay! Yay! we're thrilled we haven't been banned (laughs) we're back (laughs) and I was trying to remember you know obviously it was quite a while ago since we last spun the wheel um but do you remember where it landed uh I did because it's my pick this week yeah yes of course (laughs) (laughs) it landed in Bow in East London which um is somewhere that I uh, when we put it on the wheel I think I said last time that we were a little bit like oh well mm," because it's quite unusual spot but there's so much history there and I'm really glad it's landed there because when it did I had a on my little list I had the kind of thing I wanted to talk about so so this week we're talking about the match girls strike oh yes uh which takes place in Bow um now I want to set the scene as I kind of quite like to do with these things um this all happens in 1888 do you know anything else that's happening in 1888 oh was there a bit of a scallywag loose on the streets of Whitechapel? <laughs> there was a scallywag that's probably that's probably the nicest thing that jack the ripper has ever been called a scallywag uh, bit, of a, bit of a rascal <laughs> <laughs> not entirely a nice man no. um yeah exactly it's the same year as jack the ripper so whenever you think of uh of that date that's what comes to mind but there's something mm. uh really really important that goes on uh before actually Jack the Ripper does all his uh, his ripping and murdering in the East End and this is also happening in the East End of London and it's called the Match Girls Strike so to put it into context so we're talking about 
um, uh, the Victorian period, the late Victorian period, there is um, very, very significant uh, rich-poor divides happening in London. You've got the west of London that is incredibly rich, very affluent, and in the east is where you have people who are literally living a, a hand-to-mouth existence. They're living in very poor, squalid conditions. Um, it's all really quite miserable, and a lot of the people uh, working in factories, in places where, you know, to, to basically create all of the stuff that the rich people want live in really abject conditions and with terrible terrible working conditions as well mm. and this is where we are plonking ourselves straight into the middle of the east end in bow um now it's called the match girls strike the name uh, will give away who is going on strike. It is the Match Girls. And it's interesting, it's called Match Girls as well, because this is something that happens. Um, it's not really women. Well, it is, it is women to a certain degree, but a lot of the people who are involved in this are children, girls, mm. young girls between the ages of, well, 12 to 15, a lot of them, who are working in this Match factory. And it's owned by Bryant and May, and it's over in uh, in Bow. And Bryant and May are um, a very, very successful company. They're making huge amounts of money um, and they're paying their workers really, really awfully. And the conditions mm. are terrible. So to give you an idea of the kind of things that's happening, um, they, they announced in 1888 that they were making profits with dividends of 22% which uh, is a huge amount of money for their investors. But the wages that they're paying um, are between about four and eight to 10 shillings a week, which equates to about oh. 20 to 40 pence. And now, do you know uh, how, sorry, Alex, I was just going to say how many no. hours a day they would be? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're working 14 hours a day, 14 to 16 hours a day. 14 to 16 hours a day. Yeah, it's insane. And so if we look at the um, the, the, the shillings, to kind of put it into context today, um, four shillings a week is, there were 20 shillings in the pound, so it's about 20% of a pound. Um, is that right? Yes, that is right, isn't it? Four, eight, yeah. 12, 16. Yes, it is right. So four, um, uh, 20% of a pound. One pound in 1888 was equal to approximately 130 pounds today. Mm. So they're taking home a weekly pay of 26 pounds in today's mm. money, mm -hmm. which is nothing. I mean, no. absolutely nothing. But they're not always taking that home. They're sometimes taking less because um, the company had this really quite complex system of fines uh, that you could pay anything from three pence to one shilling. So literally a quarter of your weekly take home pay. Um, and these are fines for all sorts of things like having an untidy workbench. You could get fined for three pence for that. Mm -hmm. um, talking amongst the girls. You know, they're working there for 14 hours a day. Um, if they had dirty feet. Now, bear in mind, a lot of these workers, you know, they're they're really, really poor. They can't even afford shoes. So they're barefooted. So mm. they're going to be getting docked pay pretty much every day. Um, you're docked pay for being late. If you've got a burnt match on the workbench, that will dock you an entire shilling. Um, also, if you dropped matches or you went to the toilet without permission, I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge amount of, mm. of fine. So very rare is it that these women uh, or girls are taking home the full £26 uh, a week. Amount. Gosh, that's terrible. Yeah. Incredible, and I it? guess if, you know, they're going in at the age of 12... I guess it's their, their families that are probably pushing them to do so because their families don't have that much money. Yeah, I mean, you know, then the chances are that yeah, before 12, they've been working at something else anyway, you know. So it's mm -hmm. th th this normal in the East End, you know, everybody pulls their weight because you have to 
earn as much as you can which is to say very very little just to survive mm. and and as well yeah. as this the girls uh, and the women who were working there who were boxing up all these matches had to supply their own glue and brushes as well so they don't even get mm. given stuff to work you know and the glue and the brushes is putting the um the phosphorus on the matches mm. and the phosphorus is something that is also a massive problem um they one of the things they do, they're not allowed to do is they have to eat their lunch at their workbench, which is where you've got the phosphorus and they're handling the phosphorus and all this kind of thing. And, and I think sometimes as well, they used to sort of roll it in their mouth and phosphorus is incredibly dangerous. Um, mm. And so what would happen is this would um, kind of, it would give them a, basically a sort of form of bone cancer. Um, and it was a thing called known as fossy jaw when they'd um, mm. lose their hair, their skin would go all sort of sallow and, and basically the, their face would eventually sort of rot and it would turn green and black and, and then, and then you would die from it. Um, and it was, was so bad that in Sweden and the USA, um, it had been banned for use in matches, but the British government had said, no, they were going to carry on because if they didn't do it, it would be restraint of free trade. So oh. the British government knew that this was a deadly thing they're using. And Bryant and May know it as well. So they're aware of the fossil jaw. Well, they jaw. must have as well, because, you know, I mean, how long would it take for fossil jaw to start visibly showing effect? It's just a very good question. I don't know how long it would have been, but I can't imagine it would have, it wouldn't have been immediate, but it would, you know, it would have been a buildup of stuff, but it would have yeah. not taken t too long. And of course, one of the things that's going to happen first is you're going to get uh, toothache and jawache. Mm, um, mm. And if a worker complained of that, then Bryant and May told them they had to have the teeth removed immediately or they'd be <gasps> sacked. Oh, so, yeah, so it's pretty awful. God, I um, mean, it just goes to show you, you know, in terms of so many probably staying there for a very long time because they knew, you know, going elsewhere would be even yeah. worse. It's just, yeah. oh, God. If you've got a job, you stick with it. It doesn't matter what the yeah. conditions are like, you, you know, you stick yeah. with it. And so this is in, in the Victorian period, the late Victorian period particularly, this is where you start to see some of these rich Victorians um, kind of having a little bit to think about these things and they start to see... Uh, the abject poverty that's happening in the East End, and they some of them start to get a bit philanthropic, um, and you know this happens with everything like slavery and and child poverty and all sorts of things. We have the Salvation Army who are set up. You know, there's all sorts of organisations set up in this period to try and kind of counteract this. And one of these um, uh, organisations that was set up was a thing called the Fabian Society. It was set up in the early 18, 1880s, sorry, and it was. I mean, it wasn't exactly an organisation that was necessarily going straight out there and helping, but they were a socialist debating group. And what they were debating was social conditions. And the aim was to kind of put forward some solutions and to bring attention to some of the worst um, forms of you know, social abuse, essentially. And in June of 1888, they had uh, a debate on the match girls working at Bryant and May. They'd done a bit of research, they'd found out about the pay and the conditions, and it was, you know, this is what they were discussing. And in the audience for this was a lady called Annie Besant. And she listened to all of this and she was absolutely horrified when she heard about what was going on. And she'd also been present at a meeting. Um, if you remember, I said that um, Bryant and May had had kind of said that we've got all these dividends this is what we're you know we're really successful our shareholders are doing very well um Annie Besant went along to that meeting as well so she could see the two sides of this and she was like hang on this is there's some serious stuff missing in the middle here so she decided to take it into her own hands and she went down to uh the match factory in Bow and she 
basically stood outside the uh, factory. And as the women were coming out, there was about 1400 women who worked there. Um, she went and she sort of pulled them aside and, and chatted to them. And, and she persuaded a small group to come, come and give her a kind of an interview and tell her what it was like there. And she was just outraged by this. And so she decided that she was going to um, kind of do something about it. And a few years prior, in fact, I think just one year prior, she'd set up a, a kind of a, a weekly newspaper with a friend of hers called William Stead, which is called The Link. And it was uh, cost half a penny and it was a weekly newspaper. And what it would have on the front page, there was a little quotation from the author Victor Hugo. And the quotation said, I will speak for the dumb. I will speak of the small to the great and the feeble to the strong. I will speak for all of the despairing silent ones. So this is a newspaper whose entire focus is about um, shedding a light on, you know, sweated labour and, and terrible conditions and unhealthy work practices and all this sort of thing. Child labour as well is something that she's mm. pretty big on. And it is published on the 23rd of June, 1888. Fact fans, my birthday. Not that year. Not quite that old. Get in your diaries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and she, so she printed this article and she called it White Slavery in London. And she mm. laid everything bare. She said, this is what's happening. This is how the people are being treated. Now, how do you reckon the company are going to take this, Bryant and May? How do you reckon they're going to? Oh, they're probably going to close down the factory that's creating the newspapers, uh, <laughs> convince people never to read again. Um, I don't know. What do they do? <laughs> they, they are. Yeah, I mean, that's that's their kind of their aim, basically. They, they, they go hell for leather. They think we are not taking this. Who does this woman think she is? Um, mm. And they basically try to bully their workers into signing a statement saying that they were happy with their working conditions and that everything that Annie Besant had said was a lie. And he also, the, the guy who, who ran um, the Bryant and May factory, he also had you know friends in high places. So he had friends in the newspaper industry and he, he threatened um, all sorts of things. He, he basically started getting the his influence on the press. He started getting that going. And he was saying that she was a liar. His employees were liars, um, and that they were all—they all got on very, very well until she came along. And she's basically, you know, putting the cat among the pigeons, and there's no problem there at all. And he's going to sue her for libel. Gosh. And so the next article she prints, she says, "All right, then, sue me for libel. It's much oh. better to do that than make these women suffer." Oh, good for and, her. And surely, you know, people reading um, her thoughts and and you know how she feels about it. What what? What would there be to gain if it wasn't true for her? Well, this is it. I mean, it's often it's often the the argument that's levelled at people when they're going against the status quo, isn't it? Well, um, mm. she's only doing this to, to to you know improve her reputation or improve her standing, and it's like, yeah, what what does she stand to gain from this? Mm. Nothing yeah. except you know, it, there's so many cases I mean, we've seen that in the press a lot in the last couple of years. Same thing. Um, but what happens from this is when they try to get everyone to, to um, sign, a good chunk of the women say, no, they're not going to sign. And they refuse completely, just flat, not going to do it. Yes. And so what Bryant and May did is they said that the three kind of major colleagues of, the, of, of this group of women um, who'd sort of organised this or been part of this, um, they fired them on the spot. Mm. And the response was just, I mean, it was, it was immediate, basically. All 1,400 women at Bryant and May went on strike. They walked out. <gasps> it's incredible. Oh, the, the atmosphere in there and the, the feeling of fear, but 
the excitement of you know really kind of having that feeling all together that must have been just electric yeah really worrying and bear in mind, so bear electric. Mind as well, you know if, if we think about this this is not hardened protesters these are teenage no. girls who are poor barefoot have no income mm. you know this is this and these are the people who are going yeah well, let's do it so you know we're not mm. talking about hardened you know <laughs> warring protesters these are green girls who are just trying to make a living and and you know have a decent life that's all it is um yeah now this obviously has been a huge success for them so um annie besant sets up a, a headquarters a strike headquarters if you like um in bow road very close to the factory and then you know what we should also see is that this that this whole thing in 1888 is not without precedent because there have been a couple of previous um, strikes within the match industry uh, prior to this. In 1871, the government uh, imposed a tax on matches which threatened jobs um, and the communities that, that worked uh, or had you know large numbers of their people who worked in the match industry. They came out of the East End, they marched on Parliament, there was a really quite a brutal battle with the police right in the centre of London. Um, and in 1885, there was also a lowering of wages. Um, and this, and again, the match workers kind of came out together. And this, you know, it shows that they, they did club together, they did stick together. But mm. what they didn't have is the organisation behind them so that when it all sort of died down, that they could then carry on with that bush and carry mm -hmm. on with that direction with Annie Besant they can because she's there and she's organized and she's behind them so and she's I guess you know she's got her newspaper she's yeah you know she has the product enabling people you know normal bystanders and people mm -hmm. just reading about the news to to know about it yeah. And there's quite a few um, other um, publications that come along with her. There's mm. um, a variety of different, um, I mean, now defunct publications who who come out in and in support and they talk about it in the Salvation Army as well, get involved with her too. Um, and some quite big names, like people like George Bernard Shaw are also, you know, they're on board with mm. Annie Besant and they're, they're talking about it too. But there are other newspapers which have gone down the Bryant and May line and the Times blamed Annie Besant and said, oh, you know, um, they wouldn't have done this, but you've egged them on. Um, you're irresponsible. And, and you know, it, it just basically says that she's trying to you know, find a problem where there is none, really. And and so that the work of, of the governor of Brian and May to sort of blacklist her in the press has this kind of worked. And one thing that Brian and May do is they decide to sort of do a bit of brinkmanship. So they say, well, look, um, if you're not going to come off strike, we're going to move the factory to Norway or we're going to bring in other people from Scotland. They said there's a whole load of people in Scotland we can bring down who are going to do it. And um but but the match girls they they hold firm and they're like no it's not annie annie particularly at the front there you know she is not going to be intimidated she says look i'm just this is the right thing i'm going to keep going mm. and so um when she yeah the second article that she did she said yeah fine sue me because if you sue me it's much better to sue me than sacking all of these women and, and getting them uh you know out of a job and you know big names are getting involved emmeline pankhurst is getting involved as well so there's all sorts of big names uh, around this. And one of the things that it does is it brings, it really brings to the fore this thing of what's what's termed unskilled workers, which I never think is a very fair phrase because I think there is skill in absolutely everything. And the people who are kind of classed skilled workers wouldn't be able to, um, you know, go and roll the matches 
wouldn't be able to do that. You can see this as well with um, the uh, the Ford women's workers strike that we saw in the film. Mm. What's it called? Uh, Made in Dagenham. Same thing. Yeah. They're classed as unskilled workers, but <laughs> try and get anybody else to stitch the uh, the seat covers for these chairs. You know, they wouldn't be able to. Um, no. So what that what they do is they get a group of about 50 of these girls and they visit parliament. They go and they meet the MPs um, and they basically use their own words to go and put their case forward. And there was um, one publication called The Justice and they said how it was, it, the, the phrase was the contrast between these poor white slaves and their opulent sisters. Um, they said it was very, very imposing. It was, it was a quite an amazing thing to see. So you're seeing these people from the East End who normally are, you know, stay there. We don't want to see you. We want you to do all the work, but we don't want to see you. They're coming mm. into this, you know, rich powerhouse that is Westminster um, and talking to the MPs, which is incredible. But one of my favourite things about this story is, and this is something that we're seeing actually at the minute a little bit, um, there was a strike fund that was organised and distributed um, at Mile End. And this was essentially organised from within the community. The girls were all getting together and figuring out how they could support each other. You know, what, you need this, I need that, let's figure something out. And they're, you know, they're basically coming together as a community and supporting each other, even though none of them are earning any money because, of course, they're on strike. So there is a really, really strong identity uh, within these women. And they decide to form a union called the Match Girls Union and Annie Besant becomes the leader of the union. So there's some incredible stuff happening here. Um, and within three weeks, the company, the matchmaking company, uh, announced that they were willing to re-employ the women and they stopped the fine system as well. Um, and it was actually a lot more than they were expecting to get. Uh, they were still using phosphorus though, that's the only thing. Um, and the women accepted the terms that were put forward and they returned you know having won their case essentially against this big you know company um and, and that's really quite a quick turnaround it. isn't it three weeks um, impressively so actually yeah mm. um and it's the first really big kind of strike and dispute by essentially unionized workers to get uh publicity across the entire country and mm. this is the thing that really starts unions uh forming all over the country especially particularly for um what's termed unskilled workers and this union went on till 1903 which um is incredibly important because if you if we fast forward even slightly more than that to about 1914 uh only 10% in fact less than 10% of female workers were unionized so this is a really big deal Mm. Um, and it, it then meant that instead of after the strike has happened, that everybody sort of just it, the whole thing drifts away. They've got a union there to be able to stand up for them and to kind of push forward everything that they want, which is amazing. Wow. Um, now, the, uh, Annie Besant doesn't stop here because even though they've gone back to work, they've got better conditions, the fine system has gone, they're being paid more, et cetera, et cetera. They're still using phosphorus. And mm. so she campaigns along with other people um, including William Booth as well, very famous name, um, against the use of phosphorus. And one of the big things that helps to change this is the Salvation Army in 1891 set up its own match factory in East London. And they used a different type of phosphorus called uh, red phosphorus, which is harmless. And they were very quickly producing millions and millions of boxes a year. Um, mm. They were paying twice what Bryant and May were paying uh, their workers. <gasps> And on top of this, William Booth used it as a really great marketing tool. So he took members of parliament, 
journalists, the press, all around his factory, this model factory. And then he took them to the homes of what they were termed as the sweated workers. So these are the ones who are working for Brian and May. Um, they're working slightly less than they were before, but still, you know, 10, 10 to 12 hours. Um, mm -hmm. And so this hugely bad publicity spread everywhere and Bryant and May eventually had to reconsider uh, the policy and they dropped uh, yellow phosphorus the, the really harmful stuff in 1901 so it still took wow. them I mean it's you know, that's a long time 13 years but What's that yeah 13 years um yeah but wow so then then they changed to the the non uh, yes and they changed so, so the, the ones that you get on matches now there was a red tip because that's the red phosphorus so yeah red red phosphorus is still part of what's used in matches today um yeah but that's where that would have come from the red tip um wow. strong matches but the yellow phosphorus is the stuff that would yeah basically kill people but that and didn't how long to brian and may because it was all about profits no of course and how long did brian and may keep going they're not still going. They closed down in the, the late 1970s, uh, okay. but they were, you know, a very, very famous name of matches um, mm. for a considerably long period of time. And the match factory um, is in, in Bow and it's now been redeveloped as residential flats. And it's called Bow Quarter. Uh, oh. I think it's quite a quite a pricey one as well. I think there's a, a few uh, a few slubs who live there. Um, yeah, but it's that that is in the building that used to be the match factory. Wow. And um, what about um blue plaques is there a blue plaque for annie for instance there is actually there is a blue plaque to annie bezant on that building mm. um so she is there so yeah there, and there's also plaques to william booth from the salvation army um in that area as well um mm -hmm. actually there's a sculpture to him uh, yeah. too so yeah he might be um, a subject for another day but Annie Besant is commemorated with a blue plaque there and you know these Salvation Army um, matches are really interesting because they were called um, light in darkest England uh, as Salvation Army matches and I think that's rather lovely because that's exactly mm. what they were doing is they were trying to sort of you know light the way exactly yeah absolutely wow I think Annie Besant would be a brilliant one to discuss as well because how she got into wanting to help so many people because obviously the match industry was just as you said you know one string to her bow in terms yeah. of what she wanted to do and people that she wanted to help I wonder what kind of upbringing she had yeah. might have to look at her separately another week yeah definitely but that was fantastic Yay. thanks Alex that's hey. all right <laughs> oh brilliant yeah, it's a really story. interesting story and I, I love I love those stories of um you know people fighting back against the against the, the the powers that be and and especially you know when it's women as well because often women have really had to fight for for anything any kind of rights and mm. so I think women are slightly more attuned to just going stuff it I'm gonna stand up and be counted here um, definitely and being so young as well and as you said you know they're not the kind of women that are gonna quickly make a placard and shout down the street and make sure everybody hears them you no. know they're probably incredibly timid but and they're, they're, like a, they're surviving, you know, they, they yeah. spend their days just surviving. So they haven't got the time, you know, being able to kind of go and protest and all that sort of thing is, mm. is a, is a preserve of people who have got that free time to be able to, to go and do something mm. other than earn money to, to live really. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I just love that kind of that, that domino effect where in the factory, you know, you'd probably start off like Chinese whispers that like, oh, I think I'm mm. going to strike. I'm going to strike. No, I don't think we should strike. And then suddenly you're striking. And yeah. <laughs> it must have just, yeah, that, that feeling and that you're all people, in it together. 
some people say that the name Strike uh, comes from the Match Girls. Um, mm. That's not actually true. There is there were um, there had been strikes before then, and the word Strike actually comes from. Um, a work protest in the middle of the 1700s and a whole load of sailors um, that were supporting demonstrations in London. They they struck uh, the, the top sails of merchant ships at port. Basically, they took them all off and therefore the, the ships couldn't go anywhere. So that was that's where it comes from. But a lot of people ah. say that it comes from the Match Girls, oh. um, which would I be brilliant. Thought, I, I but, thought, no. you know, because it would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Um, but that's a fantastic uh, bit of knowledge yeah. there, Miss Lacey. Very good. So there we go. Hooray. Brilliant. So, and now, gosh, podcast pedestal. Yeah, absolutely. What are you going to go for, do you think? Well, I like the idea that they're marching to the West because, you know, in the 19th century, the East and the West were so separated. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the the people in the East are, are being heard. So I'm even, I'm quite tempted to to have that march to parliament that in itself okay. i mean i love that i love the idea of that you know it would look incredible wouldn't it and like that mm. like they said you know the, the 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 poverty against their the their sort of privileged sisters you know looked mm. really amazing yeah because the east even though of course it was part of london it was you know it was completely shut out at the end of the day wasn't it and people mm, just weren't yeah. heard or so i think yeah I, the idea that or the, the the feeling and the visual that the, the the group of women together, very, very young as well, are all marching to Parliament, moving from the East to the West. Yeah, fab. I like that. I'm going to go for the rival match factory. Oh, OK, good one. <laughs> Salvation Army match factory, because I just yeah. think it's such a clever way of fighting back at something you know you're not sitting there and going this is terrible down with this sort of thing mm-hmm. they're going down with this sort of thing and here's how we can do it better and I really really enjoy the kind of uh, I guess almost sort of entrepreneurial nature of William Booth and the Salvation Army uh, people by going we're gonna create this better factory better conditions better pay better everything we're not going to use the bad phosphorus and we're then going to bring the press round and show you the difference. Like here, starkly, are the two options that you can go for. I think that's really quite enterprising. So that's my pick. I do as well. I think that's a great one. And I'm just actually shocked that neither of us went for uh, Annie. Well, I think, I feel like she's the major part of the story. So I don't think that's fair to go for it Annie. W- no, you're right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly like, why didn't I go for Annie? But no, you're yeah. right. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I think she. I mean, realistically, it's, it's the Match Girls and Annie Besant. So I think, yeah, mm, she's she's mm. the headline. Because so I guess as well, you know, not that I'm trying to big up your um, your <laughs> podcast pedestal answer. Please do. But because <laughs> uh, I guess you know the Salvation Army, they've got a lot on their hands. So to yeah. suddenly say, right, you know, we need to get some information on how to make matches. We need to know what kind of factory we need to make, um, and suddenly form this workforce and build a factory. Um, that's so kind I, of what Salvation Army did though isn't it they went around and and, uh, and educated themselves on everything that was wrong with mm. you know the, the poorest in society and they tried to change it so that's kind of their MO mm. um, but mm. like you say it is, it's an incredible undertaking yeah it is 
But just remember that march, <laughs> that march <laughs> to the West where people, you know, in their top hats Singing and as umbrellas they and papers would be, oh, gosh, who are these ladies? See these um, little urchins coming yeah, through the streets. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well. So those are your choices this week, everybody. You have either the uh, the Match Girls March on Parliament or you have the rival Sally Army um, Match Factory. Nice. There we go. There we go. We're going to put the polls up probably around Sunday on our Instagrams. And you can also email us if you want to um, drop your your vote in by email. Um, Yeah. Come and let us know what you think. Please do. The Wheel of Destiny. So it's now time. I haven't touched the wheel for... A little while now, Alex. I um, don't believe that for an instant. <laughs> I reckon you've been spinning it all Christmas. <laughs> oh, we played some games. <laughs> Christmas Eve, where's it going to land today? Come on, have a guess. You're um, easily pleased, aren't you, babe? <laughs> yeah, my boyfriend hates the wheel because of this. Um, so, yes, yeah, so the wheel is ready, ready to roll. It is obviously my turn next yeah. week, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. So, um uh yes i i have actually created a little list oh you have like, yay i have done a little list so i've got a couple of things <laughs> on there <laughs> so we'll see Bad. all right you ready yeah let's go for it uh, oh we've been here before alex is it westminster again <laughs> <laughs> no, if it was, I'd bloody take Westminster off. No, I wouldn't because there's nothing wrong with Westminster. There's so much. No, there isn't. There's so much choice. We love all of London. Um, yeah. It's Bermondsey. Oh, yay. Yeah. So Bermondsey, gosh, that was not on my list. Oh, wasn't it? Oh, no. Bummer. <laughs> no, but there is so much in Bermondsey. There is. Um, there's a ton of stuff. Do you know my favourite thing in Bermondsey? Well, it's not my favourite thing. Well, it is. Well, um, is that um, I I love all the warehouses there. And I love the fact that, uh, nerd alert, that is where they film uh, the Great British Sewing Bee. And I love that programme. So that's... Oh, do they? Oh, I don't think I can get away with talking about that next week. Can you not? Oh, damn. (laughs) But just talking about warehouses kind of strikes, um, you know, the feeling of old factories and Bermondsey, uh, for quite a while was very well known for its leather industry yeah. and there are quite a few road names and quite a few buildings which still kind of um you know uh, remind you of this so i think i am going to go for the leather industry in bermondsey fab there's some great stories around the leather industry yeah, yeah. that sounds good I'm up for that yeah yeah brilliant so yeah that's happening so it's not, not going to be too much death and destruction for you then is are we are well, we turned a, find some. Turn, turned a page for the new year no more goth guide it's all going to be a <laughs> happy shiny guide no i'm still i'm actually writing a virtual tour at the moment which is the dark side of london brilliant <laughs> so i'm still you know i'm still getting my my grizzly fix um brilliant. but i don't i don't think there'll be anything grizzly at the leather industry but in the leather industry but you know who knows so, Alex, it's uh, 2021, January. Do you have anything going on that you, you know want to tell I people actually, about? I actually don't at the minute. I've been hibernating a little bit. Um, I've, I I find it really hard to come out of the Twixmas. So I am, pl- actually, well, I say that. I haven't got anything fixed in. I am planning a couple of things. Um, I'll tell you more about them next week when they're a bit more firmed up, I think. So, yes, yeah, same for me, Alex. Um, 
Um, I'm writing a couple of tours. As said, cool. I've got uh, got a dark tour coming up, but I'll talk about it next week. Fab. We'll update you then. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for coming and listening. Happy New Year to Happy everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And we will see you uh, next week for some really attractively lovely leather <laughs> industry stuff around Bermondsey. Get the pegs oh, ready on the nose. It's going to be a bit stinky. <laughs> Absolutely. Huzzah. 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 We love it. Thank you all so much. Please like, subscribe, uh, rate us on wherever it is you get your podcasts from. And uh, do come and check us out. I haven't done much on Instagram lately, but I'm going to pick it back up because I've just been snoozing for a couple of weeks, but we'll get there. Um, but come and say hello to us and we will see you next week for more Ladies Who London. Looking forward to it. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.